welcome to Over Our Heads. I'm Colin Rowan, Director of Communication for Pecan Street. And I'm Rachel Jenkins, Pecan Street's Director of Operations. So Rachel, if you'll remember, our last episode was a part one. Yes, with Paul Navratil of the Texas Advanced Computing Center. We call that TAC for short. We're back for part two of our conversation with Paul, who's the Director of Visualization there. Before we send it to Scott and Paul, a quick plug about Pecan Street. Listeners can visit pecanstreet.org slash news for our latest blogs and announcements and pecanstreet.org slash events for our upcoming webinars and events. And that will do it for Rachel and me. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you enjoy part two of our interview with Paul Navratil. Paul, you were talking about um, bias in the data um, and in your example of uh, the financial data um, started to give me a little bit of cold sweats, right? Because I, in the energy world, I, I am so concentrated in the energy world that I rarely sort of get to to look outside and see how some of these things are are impacting other industries. But you're absolutely right. If If that algorithm has a bias to it because the input data is biased. The algorithm doesn't know what that means. Like, I mean, this, this goes back to the, you know, the, the programs have no feelings. The programs have no sense of what's right and wrong as humans. We have to ensure that, that they under, that we implement them properly. It's not that the programs can, can understand that we have to make sure that they're implemented properly. Right. And, and I started thinking about electricity data and, and the inherent bias in what we have, you, you mentioned, you know, sort of um, uh, solar arrays and sort of smart devices. Well, all of these things can generate a tremendous amount of data. You can get a tremendous amount of data off of a solar array inverter. You can get a tremendous amount of data out of smart home systems that know when the air conditioners are on or when, when certain windows are open and lights are on and things like that. You can get tons of data out of them, but there's an in- inherent economic bias in those data streams because that's the folks that can afford <laughs> those devices, right? So there's going to be a bias. Even w- we understand that there is a bias within our own data, and we have been actively working and trying to find programs that enable us to remove some. We have been successful for short periods of time, um, but we would like to be successful, more successful at an overall programmatic level where we, for long periods of time, years and years and years, we can collect data. Because right now, if you look at sort of um, uh, lower income uh, neighborhoods, the data streams that are coming out of them are the meter data from the utilities, which at best case is going to be a 15 minute whole home read, right? And so now, if you've got a house where you know what the solar is generating on a minute by minute or second by second basis and what the air conditioner is doing because it has a uh, uh, a fancy programmable thermostat that's internet connected and, and Wi-Fi enabled and has, you know, apps on Android and iPhone and a computer interface and, you know, all these things. Uh, and you can you can say, hey, Alexa, go go change the temperature. You know, these all those homes are going to completely swamp in terms of data availability, the homes where you're only going to get one read out of it every 15 minutes. Absolutely. And it's, uh, it's just, you know, it's something to be aware of in the data. And that's where we as data experts and as, as analytics experts have to make the art and, and increasingly the science, but in, in many ways, it's still an art of, 
of of uh, adjusting for those. It, it doesn't mean that the the data is uh, not usable. Uh, of course, it, it's still usable for a, a number of things. But the first step is to recognize that that bias might exist and to be able to test for and, and even better quantify it so that it can then be adjusted for using uh, accepted statistical methods. And then you can do... Other things like uh, up, you know, potentially upsampling those uh, uh, measurements that are taken at smaller or at, at larger intervals, uh, in order to make it on par with those uh, that are taken at, at the shorter intervals. Um, you know, even something as simple as just duplicating the signal, although that's kind of coarse. Um, something more refined might be doing a stochastic. Uh, uh, duplication where it, it doesn't automatically duplicate that, but just, you know, mirrors it. Um, something you could also, uh, if it's, uh, since you have the fine signal of, of particular circuits and the particular appliances attached to those circuits, you could um, study usage models from the homes that you have the higher sampling rate and then infer a, a, either a, a aggregate or a stochastically modeled curve of those onto those uh, 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 more coarsely sampled homes. And so that uh, just a, cu- a couple of ways that you might be able to deal with that. So it's important to note that, you know, the fact that these types of uh, incongruities or, or biases exist doesn't mean it's impossible. It just means that we need to be careful. Um, and we need again, to, we need to know and watch for it. That's exactly right. And, and to really be careful against uh, particular companies with large marketing budgets that might have an interest in selling the magic wand theory of artificial intelligence. You know, winning game shows is great, uh, just to throw out a hypothetical example, but it really doesn't directly translate to other areas. Um, it, it, it still requires at, at, a, at a first pass a whole bunch of data you know so that um, so that brings on a follow-on question from me right because you know it's one thing when you're answering game show questions or or you know some of these other types of um potential applications right like some some applications are inherently fine if you get the wrong answer you just chuckle about it and you move on with life right in the energy industry if you get the wrong answer, sometimes really bad things can happen. I mean, where are we sort of on these things where we, um, in terms of allowing them to make decisions on their own, where, you know, what is, what is current research and, and theories around sort of, um, needing to supervise things versus just letting them run. That that's such a great point, Scott. And it, it, it's a really nuanced question. It really comes on the level of, uh, what the stakes are, you know, if, if you get a, if you get a, a quiz show question wrong, you might, you know, lose some magic, you know, virtual d- money. Right. <laughs> and so, so maybe, maybe a little, uh, loss of reputation, you know, I think one example, again, you know, purely hypothetical speaking was, you know, what U S city happened and the, uh, answer came up Toronto, which to a human is obviously, wrong because you know most people would know that Toronto's in Canada but uh for 
from the data that the machine was mining, it kind of made sense with how how things parsed out. Uh, I think. Yeah, that, I mean, the worst thing is that you lose to the human in a chess game, right? Okay. Yeah, right, right, right. Here, yeah. Right. Terrible. <laughs> terrible. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, oh darn, we didn't beat the world's best that's right. player. <laughs> that's right. That's right. You know, and and um, gosh, we could go down a whole rabbit hole about you know the original Deep Blue versus Kasparov match. Um, but the, I think you know a, a more relevant example to energy is to automated driving, and part of the challenge there is that you have. Uh, uh, so many, there's a long tail of edge cases that you need to consider that are really easy for a human to generalize to and can be really, really hard for a, an AI to if it's not in the training data. Um, for instance, uh, just hypothetically speaking, um, say that, you know, some some hypothetical car maker was training their uh, auto- automated driving machine to stop whenever a ball comes out into the street, stop the car. And they just happen to always use a basketball in that example, you know, orange basketball. And so it could be the case, you know, for a human, if you happen to see an old ABA ball, you know, the red, white, and blue kind of globetrotter style, or even a soccer you know, ball, or right? a soccer ball or a football, humans like ball, stop. But right. the AI, there's a fair chance that the AI won't get that, and you know, and it also it depends how it's how it's coded up, and you see some of these issues with, um, uh, with you know, pixel level hacks of a visual spectrum where you change three pixels on a picture and the car interprets a stop sign as a seventy mile an hour sign, and you know the the it. it the, the main takeaway, and, and I think, you know, again, we could go down a whole rabbit hole about that. Um, the, the main takeaway, I think, to take from that is that the, the systems are still very brittle with respect to their training data. And things, small changes that a human can easily generalize from can be devastating to the machine. Um, you know, uh, take a, a game playing robot that just plays the old, uh, breakout, you know, or pong where you have a little paddle control and then you're hitting the ball against bricks and you're, you're, you know, cleaning out the bricks. If you take a, a, a particular AI that's been trained on how to do that, cause all it's doing is reading pixel values and move the paddle up five pixels a human, no problem, can still play the game. The AI, there's a fair chance that it completely breaks it because it has trained to look for the paddle in that particular pixel range where it was originally trained. And it, all it knows, it, it, it has no concept of paddle. It has no concept really of even pixel. It's just the inputs. And now you're changing which inputs are activated by the panel and or by the paddle and and those inputs had never seen this paddle activation before and so essentially you're just getting noise out out the end and so to bring that back to to energy um it 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 is useful and 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 the sad truth in some ways is that it, it things are most useful when it 
uh, when things are working right. <laughs> and so, you know, it's, it, it, if you're, if you need to go straight down the highway at 70 miles an hour, uh, you know, and whatever the energy you know metaphor of that is, it, it's really good at, you know, keeping between the lines. Even then it can get a little gotcha. complicated, but gotcha. where, and, and we see this increasing, uh, I think this is going to be the, 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 the primary usage mode for a while is AI assisted, uh, analysis. In other words, let the AI handle the lion's share of the easy work, particularly when there's a high volume of it. And right. so rather than having a human sift through a million data points where it might, you know, humans get tired, humans get bored. And if you, uh, and, and you might miss the, the needle in the haystack, um, and if the AI can provide you the magnet, <laughs> if you will, to pull the needles out of the haystack and then say, hey, human, use your limited and spotty attention span at these 10 instances that look weird rather than the, you know, 9,999,000 that are with kind of within parameter. Because um, you know, that's that's is a, um, a phenomenal point. I think I, I want to make sure that for anybody listening, they, they sort of, I'm going to restate that because of how important that is, because we see this in the energy industry all the time. Uh, uh, distribution operators, transmission grid operators uh, have an influx, just as you mentioned, an influx of data like they've never had before, right? I mean, we're, it's coming in higher volumes. They know better, you know, at, at the distribution level, for years, it used to be if you wanted to see where the outage was, you'd wait for the phone calls to come in and then you'd start rolling trucks. Well, with automated metering, now we're like, oh, the outage is here and you draw an envelope around it and it's and it's there. But there's days and days and days of normal operation. Right. And it's yeah. those it's the analysis of sort of, hey, are these trends different year on year? Is this stuff? That's the stuff where these more advanced algorithms can really help the operators. So, to, so for the utility executives, they might want to look at anybody that's promising sort of an all-encompassing solution where AI ML is going to fix everything for them. Maybe that's a little overpromised. And if you've got, they've got companies coming to them and saying we can re reduce the workload on your on your distribution management you know, distribution management folks by 25 or 30 percent, maybe that's the more reasonable solution that they need to go look at. <laughs> you know, absolutely. I mean, and it's it, it's so challenging to cover every corner case. Right. I mean, that's that's a problem with human training. Right. Is that is that you can never fully... like when my kids say, well, you never told me not to. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Well, when we were talking about the hot stove, you know, the yeah. hot muffler on the car, we thought that would generalize, but I, I don't know. Um, maybe we need to have a longer discussion about this. The, um, but it, it's, it, it's it, the, the and, and the, and the cool thing about that, Scott, is that, is that AI actually is, is pretty good about that. And what happens is that not only does the AI give you a typically, you know, and, and, and for, for those who may be listening that are, you know, well-versed in machine learning and, and artificial intelligence topics, please forgive me the, the, the generalizations that I've been making in this podcast for, for a broader and, and I think I have to make the same apology audience. for the energy folks, <laughs> right. Uh, uh, right. But, but I mean, 
we're trying well, to bring he, together two completely different industries and talk about it so that each side understands. So just that's just exactly right. That way. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Please, please direct all you know corrections and hate mail to Devnell. The uh, <laughs> the and if you got that joke, um, uh, <laughs> we're hiring at, at the Texas Advanced Computing Center. Um, the, <laughs> so the um, the uh, but but the, so the AIs are good at not only categorizing their quote unquote decision or, or whatever, you know, outcome it has, there's also a, a, what you can call a confidence score. And so the cool thing about when that AI picked Toronto, it, it was forced by the, by the design of the game, it was forced to make a decision. And so it, it put something out there, but it, it it put the answer is Toronto with three question marks. So that was kind of cool that it was programmed to like indicate its unsurety. And if you look behind the covers that it was a very low confidence score. And so what you can do is in your usage of the AI system, you can look at not only what signal it's giving, but also how strong that signal is. And so for instance, if, you know, if I'm reading some, some measure of the energy grid and I'm getting a, you know, everything's normal reading, but my confidence in that reading dips below a particular threshold, say 90% or 80%, that might be a flag for a human to come check the system because even though things are still green light, technically, my my confidence in the green light isn't uh, you know isn't as strong as it once was. And when I say my, I mean the AI. And we can have a whole separate podcast about anthropomorphizing artificial intelligence discussions. But the um, That's but but you can yeah. yeah 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 right right and and you can have a a human analysis where you know. Some some analyst is staring at the at, at a, a screen and then says, "That's funny." Hey, boss, can you come over here and look? And she comes mm-hmm. over and and you know and and you get a second pair of eyes on it, and that's essentially what's happening here. So, um, one of the we we've talked about sort of a little bit about the the training of these AI algorithms, and um, one of the catches with that is. Um, getting the data from point A to point B. Um, and I say this, and at the time of this recording, uh, we are we are grappling with that um, for a couple of our research programs right now. And we're, uh, we're still in the position of, uh, we think we have it solved for these things, but we're not 100% sure. So like, like this is a really personal question too. Um, can you talk about sort of uh, best practices around of how do you get data into and out of these utilities? What are the options? Um, there's you guys have some cool solutions. So this is a, a good opportunity to talk about what, what you guys are doing. But this is like this is only just beginning, right? We're not yeah. we're not at the end of this. We're at the very beginning of these troubles. Yep, a- absolutely. And 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 as every new domain that finally has sufficient data in order to bring a, that's actually the first thing is say, Hey, I've got, you know, this Excel spreadsheet of a hundred uh, data points. So I'm going to put it into my machine learning engine and see what, <laughs> no, no, you're not. Please stop. 
um, the 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 whole challenge of well, you you can do that. You will just be <laughs> terribly disappointed by the results. Um, the, you know, part of the challenge on this is is getting sufficient data first to to merit bringing this machinery to bear. Um, you know, and 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 there's even a discussion in in the academia right now about you know machine learning is such a hot topic. So you know, funding agencies are going after it. Uh, paper reviews are you know gravitating towards it, and so there's a bit of pushback to say, hey, you just jumped r- straight to deep learning. Uh, why don't you? demonstrate that like just, you know, uh, 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 statistical curve fitting is insufficient to pull the signal out or something like prime, you know, principal component analysis, or, you know, why, why do you think that machine learning is the right tool here, apart from the fact that it, you know, will get you, you know, has a higher probability of getting you funded or accepted because it's, it's a hot topic. Um, and so, so, you know, it, it's a tool in the toolbox, and part of what we're doing at TAC is making sure that we can bring those to bear in intelligent ways and utilizing the hardware that we have. So our, our, our flagship system, Frontera, is an 8,000 node uh, system. And, and many of the machine learning toolkits like uh, TensorFlow, like PyTorch, like um, uh, uh, like cafe, um, and, and Keras that can sit on top of some of those, um, and, and scikit learn operate inside of, uh, a Jupyter notebook, a Python based environment. And that typically uses a single machine. Now, some of those are GPU accelerated, which can still, you know, amplify the impact, but that limits the amount of memory that you have available, um, and so we are working to enable distributed training and execution of these uh, uh, networks across multiple nodes. And, and that's a use case that's becoming increasingly interesting, uh, both in our field, in the Department of Energy, uh, but even the cloud computing providers are, are also interested in it. Um, just as a side note, the, the main thing that separates our machines from uh, cloud computing providers like AWS, Google, Google uh, Cloud Platform, Azure, uh, is the fact that our nodes have a very fast interconnect and so that they can communicate with each other very, fa- very quickly. Um, and we have a very large shared file system across the nodes so that they can all read and write data effectively. A third important aspect is that we don't charge for data ingress and egress, uh, which um, well, that's, we that's could have a whole news. separate podcast. <laughs> that, that, that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah that, uh, all the compute's free, but if you actually want to read the data, um, careful about that bill you might get. Um, <laughs> sign over, sign over the the lease on those body parts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, and we've actually had you know uh, uh, instances where we've helped folks that uh, have you know in the push to. Um, because cloud solves everything much like AI solves everything, um, move all their computing to the cloud. And then for the research context, they have very large data downloads that they want their researchers to do. And in one particular instance, um, we were able to submit a, a bid or not a bid, but we, we did the math and we're, you know, pure cost recovery. So we're not making money on this, which also helps. Um, but, 
for the cost of hosting the data for a year for this particular uh, group, it would have it would be less than what a cloud provider was charging them to download their data set twice. And that's, I I, I did not misspeak. I can totally totally see that happening because we have priced um, some cloud resources in the past and it, it, you know, the, the, the compute was not too, too bad in this particular case, but because of the structure of our data, the ins and outs, I mean, we, we were like, no, we can just buy a whole bunch of servers and hire people and it's still cheaper. It's yep. still cheaper. Absolutely. So, yeah. and, and, and that's the thing. I mean, and that's not to knock the cloud providers. It's that, that that hasn't been their business model, right? Their business model is to have primarily to have six nines of uptime for websites and to uh, tr- uh, transact uh, payments and, and other effectively small data movement to and from. Right. And there, there are other applications where the solution that we enacted would have been way more expensive, right? Way more expensive. If you're, you're the examples you gave, um, you know, some smaller data sets for, for uh, startup companies just getting started to sh- do a proof of concept or something like that, like they can't go buy, you know, a petabyte of hard drives and, and, you know, like they just, they just can't, you know, uh, but that their, their, their $3,000 a year cost for, um, data points coming in and out from their, from their 10 prototype devices, that was a much better solution for them. So there's, there's a, obviously a place for both of them. It's just sometimes, sometimes the marketing gets ahead of what the, the, the reality is shock. Wow. That's, that's revelatory. I've never, wait, deep, deep thoughts. (laughs) Well, and you know what, you know, we are, we are, well, that's a whole separate podcast, I think, but is that, is that the first time I've said that today? No, I think it's about the third. Um, Paul, thank you so much for coming. Um, the scary part was, is I got your dev null joke. Um, I'm, I'm happy where I am. (laughs) So I will not be, I will not be, uh, um, applying i also understood a, a large portion of uh the jupiter hub uh distributed computing part of that so that also scares me uh considering i can i, I think of myself more along the lines of uh, some of the understands power transistors and big heat sinks um uh but uh but if anybody listening did understand all that and is looking go go talk to paul uh, <laughs> uh, thank you so much uh thank you so much for coming on this was this was a fascinating discussion um, I hope that, uh, you had fun because I certainly did. And I certainly learned a whole bunch of new stuff. Absolutely, Scott, this has been great. And, and, you know, working with Pecan Street has been, has been wonderful. And it's really a, a highlight of the, the benefit of academic and public partnerships and, and really the, the, uh, the great, the, the, the great insights and advancements that can be achieved when, when, you know, good people work together. And so, you know, thrilled to be part of this, um, we, you know, we, we, we are in all seriousness hiring and, and we don't want to, we, we make it a policy not to poach from our, <laughs> from our, uh, <laughs> our partners, but, uh, anyone interested can just go to www.tacc.utexas.edu and, uh, and find out more about us there. Well, thank you so much. And, uh, um, maybe in a year or so, if we've got new things to talk about, let's, uh, let's have you back on again. Or even less time if something new crops up, because there's always there's always new research grants, and and we're we're always keeping our eye on them, and I know you are you guys are as well. 
Absolutely. That'd be a lot of fun. I'd, I'd enjoy it. And that's a wrap on part two with Paul. As always, we want to thank Paul and his entire staff at TAC for everything they've done to support our work at Pecan Street. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast app or visit pecanstreet.org slash podcast for a full list of episodes. I'm Rachel Jenkins. And I'm Colin Rowan. Thanks for joining us. 